Hello, my name is Paul Rogney, and I'm the host of the Drumming News Network. In recent years, handcrafted symbols seem to be a growing market. Rob Cook of Rebeats, author and creator of the Chicago Drum Show, believes that handcrafted symbols are the next frontier, much like the interest in custom drum manufacturing that took place in the early 1990s. May 20th and 21st of this year at the Chicago Drum Show, you will be able to meet and experience presentations on symbol making from each of these symbol craftsmen and on the 21st, a panel of all the craftsmen together. The series of interviews that I am doing are literally a discovery as it happens. I purposely did not do any, well, I hardly did any research on each of these symbol smiths ahead of time. I've custom built drums and my own drum hardware, but the idea of symbol crafting is something that seems part voodoo, craftsmanship, and passion. Three things that I have no interest in when it comes to actually creating a symbol. In each of these interviews, we get to see each of their own personalities. And like a true artist, even with similar approaches, their outcomes are completely different. On this episode, I speak with Dave Collingwood of Collingwood Symbols. Symbol making for Dave is a passion and an obsession. He challenges himself with finding new techniques and uncover new processes. And with more and more people showing their interest in the craft, he's decided to pass on his knowledge by teaching others how to find their own way through the ever-branching pathways of knowledge. This concludes our series of interviews. It's going to be another great one. So let's get started. Dave, welcome to uh, this episode. I appreciate you making the time to talk with me today about symbol making. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks. Yeah, it's it's late on a Sunday evening, but I'm in doing some work and training some people. So yeah, all good. And it's yeah, thanks for inviting me. Nice to meet you. Of course, it's exciting. And, and you know, this is this is in support of the uh, Chicago Drum Show uh, symbol panel that's going to be coming up. We'll talk a little bit more about that later on. But you uh, kind of leaped right into uh, the the training part. And I guess what I want to lead off with this first question: How big is the symbol making movement? today in your opinion um yeah i i um, sometimes i think it's big and sometimes i think it's still incredibly niche and i think i think both is true so i mean when i started symbol making i'd say there were probably like fewer than maybe 10 people doing it independently or or at least who were kind of shouting about it and now Mm -hmm. i mean i run a patreon doing symbol making training and i've got 40 something 44 people on it wow um, not, not all of them are actually planning to become symbol makers but they're certainly showing an interest mm-hmm. so i think i think it's kind of big in the sense that it's relatively bigger than it was and there's just more access to knowledge you know with instagram social media and, and all that there's more just availability of the very fact that actually this is even a thing that exists so people are getting right. more and more interested um and with people like myself offering training and timothy roberts's training and nikki moon's training i i think suddenly people are looking going oh i didn't know that was a thing that's cool some people come to it i just trained a guy today to make a 16 inch crash symbol and he's not looking to set up as a symbol smith but at the Mm -hmm. same time he's now aware that this is possible and and this is how it's done so i think there is a movement and i don't know if the major brands are at all watching or worried or whatever, but it's not really about that. But I think what you'll find, I can't speak for anyone else, but I, what I certainly find is among the symbol makers who are now up and coming and establishing themselves, there's a real togetherness and a, a, 
an ability and a, an openness to share and to help each other and yeah i just think that's growing as an uh, as an attractive thing that people can do you know it's mm -hmm. people love the idea that they can make their own symbols and it it's cool it looks good it sounds good so yeah i think there is a movement of sorts quite where it's <laughs> going to go who knows yeah well i i totally think it's a movement because i mean, i've been involved for drum with drumming for years and mm -hmm. it's only been over the last few years that i've come across people that are actually crafting symbols and being successful with it and actually making a really good high quality symbol i think the very first company i could think of uh that was doing them uh, by hand was hammerx i don't know if you ever heard of them yeah yeah sure and they're the first that i was aware of and uh that was you know they've been doing he's been doing it for quite some time now and uh but now it just seems like it, it totally is a movement because more and more people are doing it and yeah um you know it seems like you know your name comes up a lot and you know you, you you're all key players, but there's a lot of camaraderie uh, between each of you. So that's why I consider it kind of more of a movement. And I think it's just going to be growing in time. And uh, it, it offers other flavors to people who are looking for another type of symbol who might not be getting it from the, the big three or whatever we want to call them, big four. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's pretty remarkable. Uh, you know, why I think it's also growing was interesting. I just watched a blog, or not a blog, but a, um, a podcast you had with um what's his name again here hold on nicholas uh, uh downing oh nick downing yeah who uh, is making uh, some of the um tools for symbol craftsmanship now that, that seemed like a big step can you talk a little bit about what he's doing to support what you guys are doing well he he um as more and more people are wanting to learn or at least know about how they might even get started um, I think he, it was Mike Mongello, Mongello Symbols, who mm -hmm. saw Nicholas Downing um, making hammers. Just, mm -hmm. You know, he's a blacksmith based in, in the US and saw that he was making hammers. And Mike just looked at them and went, oh, they look a little bit like the hammers we use for symbol making. And so he reached out and spoke to Nick and said, can you make me a hammer for this purpose? Mm -hmm. And gave him some details. And he did. And uh, just... You know, one of those things slowly words started growing that there was this resource. And I I just thought it would be quite interesting, primarily like first for my Patreon members, and then I made the video, it was like an early access thing and then made it public. But I thought, why don't I talk to him about what he understands about what we do from from a different angle? So by his own in his own words, he's not really a musician, Nick. He's he's um <clears throat> He loves music, but he's a, a blacksmith with a whole set of skills and ways of doing things. And I thought it'd be very interesting to talk to him mm -hmm. about a key component, like a major component of what us cymbalsmiths do, which is swing a hammer, you know. And what I was interested in was one of the questions I asked him was, do you think there's anything we're missing? Because he's obviously very skilled in metalwork for certain things, but without a sonic outcome. Mm -hmm. And so to get I want to say more technical or practical. I'm not downplaying his artistry in any way because he really is an artist in what he does. But just this completely different angle, I thought might help people who are wanting to make symbols to think of it partly from a practical angle and to think that there is another element to this whole thing. It's very elemental what we do. We smack metal with hammers and cut the surface and, and things like that. So why not get some input from someone that side of the fence? So that that was the genesis of that idea, really. 
Um, and yeah, I, I'll see if there's any more people I can think of to talk to in that respect. Everybody who is making symbols has their own voice and their own sound. Uh, what do you think it really speaks to that? Is it literally just the way you form the metal, the way you hammer, or is it like drumming that way? Or what do you think that is? I think that's an interesting question because I've thought about this, especially being a teacher of the craft. Mm -hmm. What I want to avoid is just teaching people to make the same instrument. You know, so I, I really try and encourage people. I don't just say, I, I kind of do give tutorials, but I don't just say, here's a blueprint, well done, go and make a symbol. It's like, right. find your way around these things and I'll help you overcome obstacles and stuff. But I guess in my particular case, it's it's just about where I am at the time in my learning process. People say my symbols have a certain voice. And to be honest, I'm, I'm a bit surprised when I hear that. Pleasantly so, but... Mm -hmm. Go, oh, really? Because I've, in a way, I've never really tried to have a voice, if you see what I mean. I've just mm -hmm. tried to work out the process. And I guess that reflection of me trying to learn then comes through from the thought processes down through my arms and into the metal somehow. But I think it's it's a very unquantifiable thing. So myself, I'll, I'll be at a certain point of learning and maybe experimenting. Maybe I'll be tired one day or, you know, I might be in a phase where I'm actually, I always enjoy symbol making, but I'm stuck on something, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that will just add an ingredient to, to the mix, to the voice. And then that becomes baked in. And then when I solve that problem, that solution sort of surrounds it and, and grows as the voice. So I don't know if that sounds a bit pretentious, but not at all. I, I suppose it's just a reflection of, of the process going on inside because again, not speaking for anyone else, but I know several of the others agree with me. It's a constantly evolving process of learning and trying and frustration mm -hmm. and elation and, and everything. So I guess it's no surprise that that comes through in the, what you physically build in front of you. And of course, what you physically build in terms of a symbol, when someone else comes and hits it, that expresses itself to to the universe you know completely it, it makes me again it, it's like the same approach of drumming you can have uh one drummer play 10 different companies and it still sounds like the same drummer because it's their right. signature um but what, what i guess the the thing that comes to my mind is that a lot of symbol makers are talking about having apprentices right now okay. now <clears throat> are you able to define your sound and your offering between apprentices so you can reproduce your sounds exclusively? Or how's that How's that part controlled? I don't know. Okay. That's <laughs> the quick answer. <clears throat> I've, I've toyed with that idea mm -hmm. before. Um, for, for some reasons, I, I just have never really got there. Partly, I quite like working alone. And because it is, for me, a very internal quest, I suppose, in a way, to just keep learning. I kind of don't feel I can sit someone else down and give them my 10 years of experience to take them to the same point, which is why I enjoy teaching so much mm -hmm. and, and actually going, right, you develop your voice and then you become part of this community. So, so in terms of taking on apprentices, I think, I think the thing with symbol making, which I've talked about on previous podcasts and interviews is I don't want to step on any toes, but I think there has been and still is to some degree this element of smoke and mirrors and mystique and 
that kind of angle to it. And I don't want to take away from that. It's a very fine craft. I want to, I respect everyone's approach and everything. Mm -hmm. But I also think, like I said before, it's elemental. When you break it down, there is something to be said for the fact that we're literally throwing hammers at metal and to maybe not get too precious about things. And if you're kind of true with your process, you'll have an, a, a unique voice, which, which comes across as a nice sound from a symbol. Mm -hmm. So I think there are certain elements, like, again, with the teaching, I can say what I tend to do is go, look, I'll do a bit of the symbol. There's lots of different ways to make a symbol, but the way I do it with my students, I'll do like a quarter of the surface and then they'll copy. And then I'll, you know, kind of go on that way and, and we'll talk about the results after the fact. You need to do it and see it happen and then talk about why these things are happening and how that translates to something sonic. So I think there are certain things that can be shown to that end. Mm -hmm. So, so, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm not really getting to much of a point here, but <laughs> I think sometimes I think some of it is pretty simple. And again, I'm not meaning to downplay the artistry of this. Oh no, not at all. But, but you can go, this is a method. So I've developed a method recently and I show people that method. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that tends to end up in a certain place, but yeah, as far as um, apprenticeships and stuff goes, I, then then you're into the whole idea of are you making lines of replicable symbols or are you doing one-offs or a bit of both and what are your parameters? So in my normal way, I haven't really answered your question. I've just sort of posed another one in a way, which is like, what are we actually going for and how close, you know, you can go down to a music store and play six, seven of the same, exactly the same symbol, like a 20 inch whatever brand line symbol and they'll all sound a little bit different mm -hmm. so i think when it comes to hand hammered artisan stuff those differences are probably going to be bigger maybe i don't know i'm questioning myself now you'll get you'll get used to this it's no. question my whole process and my whole approach a lot no see i think that's what makes a true artist though i mean you're uh, you're creating something that that people are attracted to and you're still trying to figure out what your craft is actually going to be and what it's about yeah um but ultimately, you're just creating pieces of art, instruments, um, and tonality. So I think, no, I totally get what you're saying. And I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me uh, as somebody else who creates different things. Um, the other question I have is, with your symbols, what do you have on your website? Are they one-offs? Or can you, like, um, on your symbol offering page, I see a pair of hi-hats. Could I order that same set of hi-hats at any point? No, they're all one-off. Okay. I've... I have toyed with the idea of doing lines of symbols and every so often I reach a point where I, I feel like I know what I'm doing, but then just purely in my nature, I'll do something different just to screw with it, you know, and then I'll <laughs> set off on this new path and go, Oh no, something else to figure out. And it's almost like what I made before doesn't make sense to me anymore. Okay. Yeah. It's a hard one really. There's then you've got the whole kind of angle of, in a business sense, it's probably wise to offer something replicable. Like I did one recently called the quarter note crash. Okay. I just called it that because it was short and sharp. And I thought, well, we're dealing with music and symbols never really seem to have a kind of musical name in a technical kind of sense, whatever that means. So I just thought I'll call it the quarter note because it's short and quick and whatever. Mm -hmm. And then someone actually said, could you make me one as well, please? And I went, yeah, sure, of course I can. But secretly in my head, I was going, no idea. I don't know if I can. 
but but you know thankfully i i made it and i and i did i re repeated it almost perfectly so now i'm going well maybe i could offer those but at the same time i'm busy chasing new problems i've given myself so mm -hmm. i can progress so well, what i think is interesting about these symbols is that you define each half of the symbol with a grime weight and then instead of making a 14 or a 15 inch you went 14 and three quarters of an inch <laughs> so how did, yeah. did that happen by accident or is that something that when you made it a little bit bigger you're kind of like you like the sound of it i mean i would have ordered 15 inch blanks and mm -hmm. then i i start hammering and and lathing and making the things and i'll just go in and trim the edge because the blanks come in very ragged and maybe slightly out of round and, and everything so they always need at least smoothing if not trimming okay most most of my symbols you'll see are, are like 21 and a half or you know 20 and three quarters simply because i look at what i'm making and i make a judgment call on where the the best kindest place to the metal to to trim the edge off is i don't okay. think about the size at all it doesn't really bother me and it happens to work uh, no, you also offer an unhammered clap stack. They kind of like look like kind of almost potato chipped layered uh, 11, 13 and 15. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I'm I'm far from the first person to do clap stacks and there's debate raging online about who gets credit. And I'm not really interested in all those debates and stuff. I'm happy to say that it's been done before and I'm offering my take on it. it doesn't that's fine. But <clears throat> I was I was commissioned to do a clap stack for someone here in Bristol. Um, and so I said, yeah, cool, I, I'll do it. And I started hammering the material. And then I, I thought about it and I thought, I know a different way of doing this because you're right, they've got that, you know, taco Pringles kind of stacked shape to them. Mm -hmm. And I've when I'm teaching symbol making, I've got this kind of theory that lathing and hammering are or, or can be the same thing in certain ways. And I, I dive into that with my students in, and, and anyway, to try and cut a long story short, I, I realized that you don't actually need to hammer the metal in this case to get it out of shape. So I just developed a very quick, easy way of doing it on the lathe. Mm -hmm. And as far as I'm aware, I'm the first to offer it that way, but because it's quick and easy, I, I thought I'll make them affordable. You know, I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I charged a way too much for them because they're very quick to make mm -hmm. um yeah and they've i'm kind of against gimmicks and stuff and I, there is an argument that they can be a bit gimmicky and and obviously you know copied from other manufacturers and same time they've fed my kids for a couple of years now because they sell like <laughs> crazy so you know i need to keep food on the table and people dig them you know there's there's a space it's a piece of metal that makes a noise that's that's another thing i say to my students again without it's not just that, obviously, it's an artistry and a, and a craft, but mm -hmm. it's a piece of metal that makes a noise and someone will find a space for that noise in what they're doing. And so that's why they buy these things. Well, I was going to say with that, I don't see to me, that's not gimmicky. That's, a, that's an instrument that you're offering. And um, a lot of people, you know, it's a good cross between a hi-hat and a china, but you get that short attack, you get that accent immediate. Um, so, no, I, I think it's a, a legitimate instrument that people want and need. Now, the other thing I was going to ask is I've seen some of them that are smaller, that are actually the circular the stacks. I'll call them, the, what are they called? Sound stacks or, you know, Mike yes. Courtney has his Mac stacks or whatever. Yeah, okay. Uh, it's like a combination of a, a wavy symbol with sandwich between two flats or something. Uh, do you ever make any kind of a, a symbol stack like that as well as smaller, like you can get it in a smaller area? 
I haven't done, but I, it's the sort of thing I tend to do on commission. Okay. Really, if someone comes to me and asks for one, I'll make it. But uh, my heart lies with just big dynamic ride symbols generally on the thin side of things. I mean, I people assume I'm a jazz drummer because I make symbols, but and again, I've talked about this on previous podcasts and things, but I grew up listening to Soundgarden and Nirvana and Tool and, you know, Aphex Twin and, and a lot of kind of weird underground craziness. But I, yeah, the, the symbols are very much, it's just about kind of something that will do everything in a way. So I did a recording a few years ago and I just used two of my own 24 inch rides and they were quite thin but I, they had a nice enough stick definition I could ride on them. But then if I wanted to catch them and get them blooming, they filled the space. So that's kind of where my heart lies. Really. Okay. So I'm, you know, the ones you can see on the kit behind me are all sort of 21 inches and up because mm -hmm. that's what I enjoy, basically. Do you think you'll ever expand into like um, sound plates and gongs or anything like that? I mean, I've, I've done bits and pieces like that. I've done a few gongs. I, I just I found what I really like, which is mm -hmm. B20 symbols, mainly ride symbols. And, you know, some of them I sell without a, I don't say they're rides or crashes because they just are what they are. You know, a crash rides and a ride crashes. So sometimes it's like, where's where's the line? But um, maybe. But whenever I get these ideas, I always just find myself coming back here. And, and it's like, you know, I I won't really work on B8 these days. So. People will come to me asking about modifying B8 symbols, and I, to be the reason I don't really know that material as well, so I tend okay. to pass them to Matt Nolan, the other UK symbolsmith, because he knows that stuff. He makes amazing gongs, percussion, and everything. That's his thing. He also does these really, really well. Mm -hmm. but this is my thing. It's where I'm happiest, so it's kind of where I'm staying. That's fantastic. It's totally fantastic. And again, you have your own voice. I think that's what I've heard from so many of the other symbol makers is that. Uh, each one of you have your own sound and there's a i can't remember unfortunately i can't remember the guy's name but i think he sent you out a symbol where each one of you hammered on it for a fundraiser oh nikki did that yeah nikki moon yeah and he said it was really interesting because every time you get the symbol back you could actually you could pretty much tell who did what and it was it was a weird blend of so many different styles of symbol mac uh, manufacturing that he kind of really felt you could hear the different sounds that was an interesting one as well because nikki started the blank and then sent it to me and I continued it and I sent it to Craig Lauritsen in Australia and he continued it. But as well as putting our own style or voice or whatever into it, we were also reacting to something that had been done to it previously that maybe we wouldn't have done. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way, just in a mm -hmm. process way. Nikki starts a symbol differently to how I do and so on and so So it was a challenge. But yeah, I think it ended up as a really interesting symbol and it's a great project, great idea. It, it is a really cool idea because I, I i sometimes wonder if at some point when the people who are really true symbol smiths continue their craft and other ones fall off if eventually there will be uh, another symbol company that will be created around what you guys are doing specifically well i'd say i mean there's not anything to really give away but i'd say watch this space to be honest with with that sort of thing Partly because, I mean, I've, like I said, I've got the Patreon going, but I kind of, I want to grow that, you know, I want mm -hmm. to help. I, I just, you know, I feel like I'm in a good position to open the craft up and kind of be somewhere near the forefront, at least, of what's happening. 
and so I'm starting to talk to others about teaming up and like I've got Timothy Roberts he does a, a weekly video blog for me on the Patreon so we work together in that way and I think like you say with it being a movement I think mm -hmm. inevitably something will happen where there's either some joining of forces or something new that comes I'd okay. say it's either that or the majors <laughs> the majors just come along and uh blow us out the water by going hey we're introducing an artisan line and they sort of take it away from us if they if they care about what we're doing so I, I think there's something's coming and i think the movement is a change and it's kind of a reaction to a change but it's also driving the change so it's changing is all i can get to really right yeah i think the big three you know i, I think if the big companies even if they try to mimic what you guys are doing they really couldn't because you guys are offering something so specialized for the people who want that unique one-of-a-kind sound that really defines their playing so yeah. i think you're safe okay <laughs> cool. again i'll quote you on that yeah, there you go you can base your whole future on that um so um that question let's just quickly go back what got you into drumming and the interest in cymbals and drums in general like how young were you and and who were your first inspirations so drumming itself i guess i was about 14 so not that early not that late mm. and really it was my neighbor who he was the sort of kid his parents would would encourage him to you know if he showed an interest they'd buy him all the stuff around whatever he was he went through like ice hockey and model mm. building and stuff and then one of them was the drums so they bought him a drum kit and i used to hear him playing from a couple of doors he was two doors down from me okay and for like the first time in my life I latched onto something and went, that resonates. That's something I've got to do. So I used to practice on his kit and just okay. had a natural, I just naturally picked it up. I've never had a lesson and I just really enjoyed playing. So I took it from there. Um, influences, I guess, like I said, there was Soundgarden, like Matt Cameron's drumming. I was really, and still am very much into mm -hmm. and Nirvana, Dave Grohl, that sort of thing. But I was also listening to, certain eras not everything but like kind of 70s king crimson so listening to a lot of bill bruford and okay. yes and things i go and buy a lot of the secondhand prog records and listen to that so that really kind of drove me and i suppose in that especially with say matt cameron and and prog stuff there's a lot of time signature and so that got me really interested in kind of messing with things but trying to keep it musical at the same time so that yeah. that informed a lot of my playing um and into the symbol specifically there's a band called slint and they did an album called spiderland and the first time i heard that completely changed my life for, okay. for various like amazing record but the drumming that's really where my absolute interest in symbols came from partly because the record's so well produced the symbols sound beautiful but primarily it's the drummer the way he plays them was very eye-opening to me. It's very mm -hmm. simple, unshowy, but extremely sensitive and raw. Some pin drop quiet and then just absolutely wailing on the things. So that that really kind of drove me to realize what can be done with a good symbol. And once I started making them to kind of chase this dynamism mm -hmm. that, that can be had even even through like absolutely roaring rock metal music, still having a nice expressive symbol. Okay. So those are my main things, I guess. Do you remember what his name is by the chance? The drummer? Yeah. In Slint, Britt Walford. Britt Walford, okay. Yeah, incredible drummer. 
Let's check that guy out. <laughs> yeah, it's again, it's very kind of subtle what he does, but I'd never heard such sensitive playing. Okay. And some some of that record is just so heavy. So having such sensitivity and such a kind of slightly unsettling dark setting mm-hmm. really just piqued my interest. So after that era or that phase, you know, who are some additional drummers that fed your uh, passion about drumming and maybe even to drummers today that you think that kind of inspire you? Well, I think one that comes to mind is a guy called Charles Hayward, who was in a band called This Heat. And they were they were sort of late 70s, early 80s, post-punk sort of thing. But years and years ahead of their time, they're quite obscure and they still are, I suppose. But over time, the records they did really caught on and people started realizing where a lot of other post-punk and interesting new wavy sort of stuff got their ideas from. But he's he's got an incredible way with phrasing and breaking up what seems like simple passages and just moving to like a tom instead of a snare but in these not mathematical but oddly structured ways and that that kind of opened up rhythmic stuff to me i'd say again like aphex twin and orteca and electronic artists sometimes i think they're drum programming it's programming admittedly but the way the rhythms they structure and the composition is just incredible so that feeds my thought towards actually structuring and and you know phrasing on the acoustic kit but i've got to say as well like there's there's a lot of very very good local drummers who are inspiring me for a few reasons and so you know growing up in my 20s or whatever i was playing a lot in bristol and uh knew pretty much everyone on the scene and then thankfully you know i was very lucky i joined a band and went around the world for a few years and did big tours and and that was great but and so and then I had kids and so you know tried having real jobs and growing up and all that rubbish, <laughs> and then start, started building this business. But I took my finger off the pulse of what was happening locally. But now mm. being a symbol maker, I'm meeting all the younger guys and gals coming through, and man, they they are so full of like vibrancy and energy and creativity. They're really inspiring me. That's because cool. if, if I wasn't doing what I was doing job wise, I wouldn't really be aware of them for a start. But they're they're just doing this new, interesting, exciting stuff in a very collaborative, inclusive way. And that whole vibe is is very inspiring. That's cool. Are you still playing regularly now? Out? Kind of. I've got a, a band that been started up only for a couple of months with a guy I've been in a band with for probably 25 years on and off, you know, various things. And another another guy, probably like 20 years, we've been in bands, and then a, a friend that we've just met. And we practice up here in my in my workshop. So okay. I've got a nice behind that curtain there. There's just a great big, nice space. So, yeah, cool. you know, it's a weekly rehearsal thing, but it's nice to be playing again. Definitely. Oh, definitely. So when you were touring in the bigger tours you went on, talk about that. Like, what, what, what was the band were you touring with? And what kind of tours were you on? Uh, so I did a, a couple. I, when I really started touring was a band called Gravenhurst, which was kind of a folky, rocky sort of thing. We were signed to Warp Records, which is more of an electronic label, but they were branching out. And we did, we toured the US on a support tour and we went to Japan and did a festival there. And, you know, we went around Europe all the time, but it was some of it was pretty big, but a lot of it was sitting in vans with lots of layers of clothing on and, you know, cheap sandwiches. 
but you know that's the experience but then i i got picked up by this guy called jan tierson who's so i was on tour in i was in paris with gravenhurst and jan was at our paris show and needed a drummer so he's best known for doing the music for amelie seen that film um oh. very very cool very good film very amazing musician lovely guy but anyway he needed a drummer and liked what he saw so he invited me to paris and we did a record together and then he said do you want to go around the world for a few years <laughs> yes yes please <laughs> and Jan, yeah in certain countries he's he's like a god really so we were playing like enormous festivals in like south america and, and went around the us but he's not quite so well known there so it's more so, you know some fairly good size things but mm -hmm. yeah and played some with sort of slightly off off the beaten track places if that's the right way to put it like we played in beirut and wow went, went through russia and serbia and yeah it was very interesting it's a great life i mean it's it it kind of is good and it's also you know my liver is is really complaining at me for those years basically um but yeah great experience <clears throat> that's fantastic that's a dream come true like so what was the biggest crowd you ever played to do you think um we did i wonder one of the last gigs i did with jan actually because i i I left, you know, it was all amicable. I had my first kid on the way, so I said I need to, mm -hmm. I need to step back. And the guy that took over for me, a drummer from Leeds here in the UK called Neil Turpin, is a solid drummer and lovely guy. We did a couple of shows together as a kind of crossover. And, and I think, yeah, we did Route du Rock Festival, which is in Brittany in France, so like okay. northwest France, and we headlined that. And that was pretty big, I guess. So, I don't know, a few tens of thousands, I'm guessing. Um, it's yeah, pretty exciting. We, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We did one in, uh, where am I thinking of? Finland, I guess. That was sort of 10, 15,000, something like that. Okay. So, yeah, it was good. That's brilliant. So, I don't know if I should even ask this question, but what symbols were you using at the time? <laughs> <laughs> um, I was using... Istanbul Agop traditional darks. Mm, okay. Because I like them. They're very, very good symbols. Very nice. Um, yeah, those were my, those were what I settled on, I think. I mean, when I st started touring, just as a bit of an aside, I didn't really know much about symbols at all. I remember the first gig I ever did abroad in France. Actually, that was at Rue du Rock Festival, but in a tiny room tucked okay. away in a different you know so i've never really thought about that i was using like a peisty 302 ride which is just one of the cheapest entry level brass i didn't have a clue so mm -hmm. you know it still made a noise and seemed to carry right <laughs> but yeah those istanbul traditional darks beautiful really nice symbols now are those a turkish symbol that's rebranded or are they handcrafted or what, what what's what are, what's the deal with those symbols what with the istanbuls mm -hmm. i I mean, as far as they're sold, I believe they're handcrafted by Istanbul. So I think when you go out to, to Turkey, there's Istanbul and Bosphorus basically doing the thing themselves. There's a team of people sat there hammering. I mean, I visited the Bosphorus factory. I toured in Turkey and Italy in 2009. And so I visited Bosphorus mm -hmm. and they were really, really friendly and showed me around everything. And it's just, yeah, like just people sat around hammering in a room and 
again, I think that leads to the idea of there being a kind of formula or blueprint of how to make a certain symbol and whether it's teachable. And I suppose that, that kind of proves that it is because mm -hmm. there is a, at least within parameters, there's a consistency to what these guys put out. Right. Um, yeah. That's just fascinating, the whole thing. <clears throat> so I read on your, your bio that you said, you know, you had your child coming along, you needed a real job, so you'd get into symbol making. It's kind of a weird decision. <laughs> so can you talk about a little bit about that, uh, that whole uh, decision making? Yeah, I mean, I, I like a challenge. I'm always making my life harder than I need to. It's just in my nature. <laughs> but I mean, really what happened was I, yeah, had my first kid on the way and had a big tour and finished that tour and stepped back. And, and that was all great. Mm. I did. I actually retrained as an electrical engineer. Um, I don't I can't remember if that's in the bio. So so like I said, I tried getting some real jobs and growing up and I did very, very fast track electrical engineering course uh in close to bristol and then got some jobs doing electrical engineering like real jobs and okay. absolutely hated them they were i'm not yeah it's awful yeah. um but you know paid the bills bought me a house and and i was earning quite well and mm -hmm. also gave me a lot of practical knowledge on how to unpick problems and fix things and make things which has been very useful in symbol making so mm -hmm. made all my tools and basically built the workshop uh, but yeah, I was made redundant from one of my jobs not long after getting it. And I'd already started tinkering with symbols. So it wasn't really that I stopped and went, I'm going to build a symbol business. I just wanted to do it and mm -hmm. it started. And so when those jobs finished, luckily I was just at a point where I was able to to think, right, now I now's my chance to do something I want to do for me. At what point when you got into it, did you become independent enough to be able to afford to have your own business and not have to take a job? Just out of interest. I don't know. I'm still working on that, really. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I mean, anyone who's self-employed will, will tell you that, you know, there's ups and downs. Some months will be great. And some months you're, you're just worrying where the, when the next paycheck's coming from. But right. I'd, um, I'd say, I don't know, maybe th three, four, five years ago perhaps but it's been a it's been difficult you know mm -hmm. it really has but i'm quite once i get an idea i need to see it through i i sort of can't give up on it um so i've just made it work and yeah it's been extremely difficult lots of different difficult circumstances globally of course you know that yeah. we've all been through and and personal things and we all have that to deal with but yeah, a few years ago, before this workshop, I was I was at a smaller place and the rent was pretty affordable on it. The circumstances allowed me to build something and get to a point where I could come to this workshop. And, you know, it's always a kind of building and trying to do trying to do other things. But yeah, mm -hmm. for a few years, I've lived OK off it and really enjoyed it. I mean, from the outside in <clears throat> and looking at where you're at now, it uh, seemed like it was a very um, natural process. But at the same time, I know you, you said it's been difficult and I can only imagine how difficult it's been because it's not easy to a get the word out about an individual instrument. You can't really go to retail stores because not many of them will stock unique one of a kind instruments. And a lot of them aren't doing <clears throat> not layaway, but what they call it. Uh, um, you, know, you put the item there and then you get a percentage of it, split percentages yeah. of sale. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't get distribution. So, you know, I think it's still phenomenal. Uh, where you're at right now and the level of craftsmanship that I've seen and I've played so many of your videos. I think it's just amazing. I think it's really cool. You're starting to share all that stuff too. It's really, 
Thanks. I appreciate Lenny. that. So what do you think is the next natural evolution for symbol craftsmen? And I'll call it, like I said, the movement. It's a good question. I mean, it's hard to know because we're all just, I think most of us would say we're, we're still learning in the sense that we're, we're always trying to raise our game and, and just, unpicking and it's fun it's a really interesting craft and job to do so i think partly is is just continuing and seeing where it goes that's part of what i like about it is that i don't maybe this just says more about me and how i should be planning better but <laughs> i don't necessarily have a plan other than following my nose and and so far that's going in a good direction and i think we're all just trying to enjoy it and trying to leave it a bit alive and open as well mm -hmm. but then I, I think what you might find is, like you said, more of a kind of hub as as more of us are cropping up of people coming together and actually projecting something whole. But then, of course, most of the indies, by definition, are just like one person hammering a symbol. But, you know, you've got people training up other people and businesses will grow. Um so I think there's going to be teething issues in how we all work together in a way, not in a bad way, but just, mm -hmm. you know, pricing and projection and, and, and branding and everything. You've got some fairly strong personalities at play, but the nice thing about it is we're sort of cool with each other's different strengths, you know? So again, not particularly answering your question because I don't really know. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, answer. It was literally kind of one of those questions to open up just kind of like discussion because it, it, there's you can't put your finger on the pulse and things are changing so much in, in our world right now. Yeah. And, um, sure. you know, availability of materials. I mean, I've kind of asked everybody the same question. I mean, how much has the cost in precious metals, import tax, the cost of materials going up, how much has it really impacted you? How much have you seen an increase in raw material cost in like, let's say the last year? Uh, quite a lot. Mm -hmm. really is is the simple answer yeah it's definitely gone up my supplier is is incredibly friendly and very easy to work with and they've always been very sort of sorry but this has to happen but it's you know be below me here there's a furniture making workshop and i talk to those guys and they're they're bringing in wood and steel and stuff and the price of everything is just like tripled or, or something and not in every case but yeah it's wild but there we go well, aluminum went up seven times in cost, at least here in the United States. And then precious metal taxes, you know, they, they fluctuate so much every day. Um, yeah, yeah. That it, it depends on what day you're coming in. You, you're not going to know your price until you actually pay for it. You know? <laughs> and then, I know, yeah. It's, you've got to stay on your toes. But I've, I've had the added pressure of Brexit as well over here. Can you explain a little bit about that whole thing? I don't understand it even. We, I've heard tons of news on it, but it doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. None of it makes sense. I, it's a very divisive issue. Literally, it was mm -hmm. divisive at all, but it's ugly. It's, in my opinion, the whole thing has been ugly, pointless, and messy. And just kind of dug into some deep-seated nastiness around and, and really taking advantage of... Oh, I, t I, really, I just don't want to get too far into it because... <laughs> I, I just see nothing positive about it whatsoever. I was very firmly against it um, and still am. Well, I read... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, like, it's... 
personally and you know i'm just one person i'm it's not like boohoo poor me but i lost and there are other reasons for this i mm-hmm. you know, i'm not just blaming brexit but i i lost a lot of my custom as a result of brexit shipping to to europe suddenly there was so much more red tape and cost for the customer that that a lot of them were emailing me saying normally i'd just buy this in a flash but sorry i can't because because of the extra so i lost a lot of that even uh-huh. now i'll send stuff out to europe and it'll be returned because people still don't really don't really know what's involved and then the thing will turn up at their door with an extra 20 percent or whatever on top and they'll refuse Oof. it so it's coming back to me so i'm paying return shipping and refunding my customer and taking the time to relist it you know but part of the real the the reality of that as well just the whole time is that to look at it from a symbol making thing to get back to that there mm-hmm. are more symbol makers cropping up everywhere in the world so i can't just blame brexit and go why isn't my work selling as well there are more symbol makers and therefore more options and i need to be realistic about that so why would they not choose some of the very very incredibly good symbol makers in europe mm-hmm. and primarily for the strength on the strength of their work but the added benefit of not having to deal with these ugly brits coming along and asking for <laughs> extra money and it's just horrible horrible situation but then, you... that's kind of what drove me to teach as well in a way was partly necessity because i needed to okay. i needed to branch off and yeah just put something in place really that aligned with my values of sharing and stuff but also helped me bring in a, a few pounds a month you know well, one thing about Brexit, I was going to ask you, uh, and I know you don't want to go deep into it, but I heard or I read recently that there's a chance that you guys could get out of the current situation, go back to the way it was. Have you been hearing that? I mean, I've heard it as a soundbite, quite how true it is or and quite how much um, resistance that will come up against. I don't know. I just there's a lot of um, it's the same with debate on anything really i think especially online it's like you can put forward a, an opposing argument or at least a call for debate mm-hmm. or clarity or something and just be met with this brick wall of and the brick wall you get here is like we we've it's happened now get over it you're dragging us back by complaining about it and maybe there's some truth in that but at the same time it's like can we not at least talk about it you know can we can you please at least admit to the problems instead mm-hmm. of going no what problems so it's really hard to engage with anyone. And I, I'm not a very politically minded person. I'm a bit head in the sand about mm-hmm. anything other than what crisps am I going to eat today? So, <laughs> so, so I don't know. I have no idea. No, the reason why I'm so interested in it is aside from like, you know, I love England, but um, it, it's a, it, it, it's come across in our news that it was kind of one of those scenarios where people really didn't know what they were voting on. It wasn't clearly yeah. stated to people and the, the argument yeah. they were given. Yeah. yeah. And so I don't know, it just seems like a common problem that's happening in our world today. And it can happen mm-hmm. to such a, you know, it can happen today. Like people are like, that could only happen in the seventies and sixties. Well, no right. misinformation is today and very true. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think any, any notion that we're in any, uh, in any way, enlightened or anything just isn't true it's just fault you know in certain ways perhaps but yeah we're still humans working on some weird base levels and probably mm-hmm. always will be yeah. okay well enough about politics let's move yeah. on to symbols sorry yeah. i drug i drug you there and i apologize so you told me not to go no, there, no, don't I worry about it. 
<laughs> Let's talk about Chicago and the, the drum show that's coming up in the Simmel Smith panel. The, the day before, you're going to be giving a presentation and you get the panel. Uh, are you going to have a booth there as well? No, no, I'm not going to. Okay. Uh, so what can, we, what can we expect, do you think, from, from the panel and seeing your presentation? It's an interesting question. I, I, I'd imagine you'll, you'll probably see a bunch of similar looking guys talking about um, basically what we've talked about today, but mm -hmm. um, probably name dropping each other because I certainly plan to, to sort of mention the other guys. And I guess just talking about where we see the industry being and maybe where it's going and if, if we're going to have any impact on symbol set, the very fact that there's going to be eight symbol makers in a room together as never, you know, in terms of independence is, is brand new and that we're having this opportunity at Chicago, which I'm extremely grateful for is, is got to be a sign in itself of something, something happening. I do know as well, there's going to be at least two of my students, maybe three as well. So there's going to be like 11 symbol makers in the same room. So See, I think if you want to dominate the symbol industry, take us all out in one go, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, most, I know all of them to some degree, and I've taught a couple of them. Not that they really need it, but don't tell them that. But um, <laughs> they, it's, I've, uh, well, Matt Nolan, the other guy here in the UK, we actually went for lunch the other day. He lives about 20 minutes away from me. So there's two okay. of us in this country within a 20 minute bike ride, basically. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, all these other guys I know through the screens. I've been working with Timothy Roberts and Mike Mongello, and and I've interviewed Nikki and and all the mm. other guys. And to actually see them in the same room is probably going to be a bit surreal. But I I think there's going to be a real nice vibe between all of us. Mm -hmm. Hopefully, I'm sure there will because we all seem to get on. Well, Dave, with that, I just want to say thank you so much for your time again. And uh, I don't want to keep um, talking about the panel. I want people to go to it. <laughs> so I'm wonderful it's going to be great to see you in the uh, United States so thank yeah, you for your time I'm really looking forward to it yeah well thanks for inviting me I, I really appreciate it take care thanks this has been a production of the Drumming News Network all rights reserved all media is owned by the respective parties this episode cannot be distributed or copied in any form Please visit drummingnewsnetwork.com daily to keep up on all the latest drumming news. Copyright 2023.